At Netflix, pretty much everyone knows what everyone makes. There's no secrets, okay? Everything is transparently public unless there's a very, very specific legal reason why it can't be made public. Hey everyone, I'm Mark Randolph and welcome to That Will Never Work. On this podcast, I speak with folks who are at every stage of building their own business, whether they're leaping from side hustle to self-employed or are already generating revenue and ready to level up. My goal is to draw out their biggest challenges and then, using a combination of advice, encouragement, and tough love, nudge them just a little closer to realizing their dreams. While I'm known for co-founding Netflix and serving as its first CEO, my career as an entrepreneur spans four decades. Netflix was actually my fifth startup, and since leaving there, I've had the opportunity to work with scores of early-stage companies and mentor aspiring entrepreneurs from all over the world. Along the way, I've picked up hundreds of tips, tricks, and secrets, which I'm eager to share with my listeners. Helping others move their ideas forward has become my life's passion. So if you've been told that will never work as much as I have, you've come to the right place. Together will prove the naysayers wrong. Barely in his 20s, Markian, today's guest, has launched a successful social media brand, Smile Squad. They have over 13 million followers and seven figures of ad revenue. So why call me, a guy whose social media following barely has broken into the tens of thousands? Well, fortunately, Markian is looking for advice on how to deal with a very different group of followers, specifically how to be a better leader for his 11 employees and what steps he can take to create a great company culture. The good news for him is that I love talking about this stuff, and I appreciate the degree that this young, successful entrepreneur allowed me to go off and really dig into these topics. I think you'll like it too. Mark Yen, welcome to That Will Never Work. I'm really excited to have you with us because uh, actually I think we're going to be talking about something that I'm still a newbie, a kind of the wild world of social media, of video production. So I'm really kind of looking forward to the conversation. So welcome. What I'd love you to do as a way of kicking things off is basically, why don't you take a minute or two and tell us what you're up to, and then maybe you could kind of artfully segue into uh, what it is you specifically want to talk with me about. Thank you so much for having me. Well, my name is Mark Yan. I am a third culture kid, which means that I grew up in a country other than my parents' nationalities. I grew up in Russia, Spain, and Hong Kong. When people ask me, where are you from? It's a hard question because there are other layers deeper than that. But I moved to the U.S. about five years ago for college. I am a content creator. I have a channel called Smile Squad. Our mission is to make people smile, and we make comedy skits and positive vlogs. And ultimately, my passion is entrepreneurship. I learned everything about business from my dad. He's a very smart, wise entrepreneur. And I turned my solo brand into now a media company of 11 people. The goal is to bring the world together one smile at a time. So ultimately, my question is about leadership and being a young leader, and I'm excited to learn from you, Mark. Well, let's see what we can do. A couple things. First of all, I completely can understand the whole third culture kid aspect of it. And not because I was. I'm like plain vanilla when it comes to heritage that way. But more because a number of years ago, I was really lucky to get to spend a expat year plus living in Italy with my whole family. And my kids, who I think were in, uh, let's see, 
fifth grade, seventh grade, and ninth grade. They were completely freaked out about moving to Italy, about leaving the United States, leaving their friends, leaving the things they knew and going to this foreign country. And I reassured them and go, don't worry. This is going to an international school. Most of these kids are going to be the exact same like you. They're all going to be Americans. And all of a sudden we got there and it was this incredibly fascinating mix of people, which were people who quite frankly didn't know how to answer what are you? Because they might have, for example, an Italian dad and a French mom, or they had a German father and a Swiss mother, and they were born in London, and now they're living in Italy. And so it's this really confused, polyglot mix of people. But what it was where they were the coolest people because they had such incredible different backgrounds and this special way to relate to people because of having to navigate all the intercultural stuff, which I imagine might be part of the reason that you're successful is you realize that you have to be able to create content that appeals to a wide range of people and you have experience at being somewhat maybe a social chameleon. But I'm perhaps projecting too much on you. Tell me quickly, how much traction does this company have? How is it doing? It's great. We have about 13 million followers total. Over the last two years, we've gone over 5 billion views and made $2.5 million in ad revenue. So it's awesome. And scaling the company <laughs> has been a super great learning experience and uh, something that I've seen and not a lot of creators do so much. So, Are you the sole founder? Are you the jefe? And um, then there's a big jump down to the people who work for you? Or do you have a partner, so to speak? No, I'm up there. I'm been advised by my dad a lot, but he's not a, on the team officially. And listen, in the interest of transparency, how old are you? 23. 23. And you started this, what, three years ago, you said? Started making videos when I was 16. So it's six, seven years ago. Fantastic. Well, congratulations. First of all, congratulations on taking the step and actually starting and doing something, but also certainly a huge congratulations to all the success. Thank so you. let's drill down a bit more and kind of what you're looking for. Something to do with management? Anything particular about that that you're struggling with? I would say leadership. As I've taken on this role and this persona of being a, a boss, a leader, a manager of people, it's been a journey figuring out what kind of person I am. Am I very strict? Am I very friendly and laid back? How authoritarian should I be? How personal should I be with the people on my team? So that's kind of where my question lies. Is your team distributed? And they probably are now, but was there a point when everyone kind of came to work in the same place? Yeah, we're all based in LA. So most of us are together. And so you've mentioned you have all kinds of possible personas you could be as a leader. Which one have you been doing? Oh, I think it's the balance of setting the expectations, but having other people speak first and being the last person to speak, leading with empathy, but being clear on what the goals are and the steps we need to take there. And are you concerned that may not be as effective as it needs to be? Yeah, I feel like I could be better with communication, with transparency, with vision of the company. So I think there are lots of things that I can improve. How transparent are you? I would say pretty transparent. I have a couple of the team who knows how much we make on a monthly basis. That's about it. We built an academy, like an online course business, where we also share the $2.5 million that we made. So that's public. Yeah, strategy and steps I have in my mind, but also I share with the team. How long have most of the people worked for you? One to two years. Two years when I made my first hire. Okay. And so most of these people are relatively new. Yeah. Are any of them senior 
or are they mostly doing detailed transactional stuff? Well, we got writers, editors, creators. A couple of them, I talk about higher level strategy, upper management, as we call it. And then ultimately, I'm the one who makes the final decision and strategy calls. Well, then let's talk about culture just for a minute in a more generic sense. Mm -hmm. And then maybe you can dig in a little bit on the areas that you might want to try or or might want to think about. Or or you might end up going, oh, this sounds great. I'm in great shape. And I just needed someone to reassure me. Mm -hmm. And the first thing, and I've certainly said this more than once, which is that culture is not this aspirational thing. And leadership is not necessarily this aspirational thing. And they're similar in that way, in that it's really, really hard to decide in advance what you want to be and then try and be it. It is infinitely easier if you can be yourself. And culture, for example, is even more so that way. It's really hard to design a culture. And almost every time I see someone sit down and go, okay, let's figure out what our culture is going to be. They come up with all this awesome stuff where all we believe in complete transparency and we believe in respect and we believe in listening and we don't tolerate assholes and all this stuff. But it fundamentally ends up mostly being just words because they don't necessarily behave that way. And they'll be all about the no assholes rule until all of a sudden their very, very best salesperson all of a sudden is getting really creepy with people and making people uncomfortable. And now the CEO is going, well, maybe he's a good guy because he has to make a decision. Do I want my best salesperson or would I want to honor this no assholes rule? So in other words, it's just so much simpler if the culture ends up modeling who you are. And the things that you mentioned, if they're in fact truly behavioral and not aspirational, are wonderful. Things like transparency, things like basically leading from the back. So that's the first thing I would say is that culture is not what you say. And I imagine you don't have kids. You don't have kids yet, I'd imagine? No. Yeah. Any person who's listening right now who has children knows exactly what I mean by saying it's way, way less important what you say than it is what you do. And in a company, it's exactly the same. How you act is how the culture is going to be. And so if you truly are transparent, well, you're basically saying this culture stands for transparency. And if you're respectful, this company stands for respect. And what'll happen is right now, it's a small enough company, you're watching what everybody's doing, but eventually it'll get big enough where you're not in the room all the time. And you'll see those cultural things will get mirrored. Let's talk about leadership for a second. So leadership is situational in that your leadership style is going to change based on the circumstances. And I'll give you a very black and white example, but then you can quickly, I'm sure, fill in all the shades of gray in between. It's wonderful to have the consensus-driven model that it sounds like you might be pursuing. Everyone comes in a room. Let's all talk through what we think. What do you think? Oh, Jim, how about you? Uh, Mary, you know, and you get everyone's opinion and then you kind of speak last. Go, here's what I sounds like I heard and we're going to do this. Fantastic. Everyone gets bought in. They understand where the rationale comes from. Now, all of a sudden something else happens, which is that a car crashes through your front window of your building and seven people are all lying there on the ground screaming and bleeding. You do not get everyone together and go, okay, we have some injuries. Now, uh, John, what do you think we should do? Uh, Mary? Raul? No, you shift modes and you basically go into command and control mode, which you go, here's what we're going to do. You, or as they do in the old movies, you boil some water. 
I don't know why they always boil water in the old movies when someone's, he's having a baby, quick, somebody boil some water. <laughs> anyway, but I digress. But you understand what I mean about the differences between these, this situational. Part of it is you, is finding a style that suits you, but also part of it is saying, what does my business need at this moment? Mm -hmm. I have always had certain things where culture and leadership intersect. And I'll shut up in a minute and we can talk about how this might fit with what you're doing. But I have certain things that are simultaneously leadership driven and cultural. And number one is I really have no interest in dishonesty in a business circumstance. And I don't mean lying and cheating. I mean the type of dishonesty that comes from, let's say you suck, you know, but I go, Mark, and oh, you're doing a really good job, but there's a couple of things I'd like you to work on. No, it's so much more powerful to go, I'm really disappointed in you. There's some things where you're really falling short and I'm concerned that if we don't do something about it, you're not gonna be a good fit for this position. And you communicate it right up front, you're done. And it's what at Netflix ended up becoming this culture of radical honesty. And that's a leadership and a culture. And the other piece of it for me was, I won't say it's intentional, it's more laziness, is I never wanted to be a person who told people what to do. What I wanted to do is be extremely clear about what the objectives were. I wanted to give people all the information they needed to make a decision and then let them go. And if I'd hired the right people, they would solve these problems on their own. And because I'd given them very clear direction of where I wanted to get to and what our company goals were, they could get there if they were responsible people. And that ended up becoming like the whole freedom and responsibility culture at Netflix. And I don't know if you've seen that Netflix culture deck. You ever seen that thing? No. Yeah, you should, it's pretty cool. It's basically something that was done kind of after the fact to say, what's it like to work at Netflix? It's a way they could use to introduce potential employees to what the culture was like there. And then Reed, Reed Hastings, my co-founder, but the current CEO, decided to just release it publicly so everyone could look at it. And all of a sudden it kind of exploded. But it's a great example of illustrating what that culture is. But the point is, it's not something that was designed and written for the company to adhere to. It was something that was designed to illustrate what the company truly was. And the last thing I'll talk about in terms of this transparency, I'm a huge believer in transparency because for me, transparency is hand in hand with honesty. And just to give you an example of how far you can go with honesty, at Netflix, pretty much everyone knows what everyone makes. There's no secrets, okay? At Netflix, everything is transparently public unless there's a very, very specific legal reason why it can't be made public. But the default is everything is open and transparent, except for very, very few things. Like for example, it's a public company, so they can't be discussing numbers, but they discuss a tremendous amount of things with the trust that people recognize these are things you need to keep confidential. All right, now I'm circling back to the last piece of which is how a company like Netflix, for example, does use this transparency, this freedom and responsibility and this honesty to manage is that fundamentally a manager at Netflix has just two jobs, period. One is to make sure the right people are in the right seats, which is they spend a huge amount of time on hiring, making sure the right people are in the right place and when required cutting. And the other one, they spend all the remaining time making sure that everyone in the team has all the information they need to make good decisions. What are the objectives of the company? Where does your department fit in that objective? Where does your role fit in those objectives? What's our competition doing? What other companies are out there doing something else that might impact us? What are our goals? And then leaving people alone. 
So you notice of those two things, neither of those things was tell people what to do. Neither of those things were approve things. Now, you got me on a roll here. Mm -hmm. uh, since you haven't seen the culture deck, you probably don't know about Netflix's vacation policy, or do you? No, what is it? Yeah, there isn't one. You take it whenever you want, much as you want, who cares? You know what the expense policy is? No. There isn't one. Treat the company's money as if it's your own. Oh, here's one. You know what the travel policy is? No, you can get the answer here. There isn't one. In fact, all the Netflix policies are the same. It's all basically use your best judgment. It's basically trusting people to be smart. And if you think about it, you take a person who works at a company like Netflix who is responsible for green lighting a television production that may cost tens of millions of dollars and then telling them, oh, and here are the rules about how much money you can spend and what you can spend it on. And here's the rules about, oh, if you're flying this distance, you can travel in business class. But if this doesn't, or here's the types of hotels we've approved or how many days off you can take this year. It's just juvenile. And so instead, you hire people who have the judgment and then say, listen, I, I trust you. So I tell you those things since you appear to be going, my intuition is I'd like to be transparent or even more transparent. I'd like to be more collaborative, which requires me sharing more. And I was sharing those about Netflix just to give you an example that you can go a long, long, long way before you begin bumping into, I've probably shared too much or I'm empowering people too much, even at low levels of the company. Yeah, that's all super valuable information. Thank you for sharing. I'm thinking about how that applies in my company and maybe a silly question on the vacation in a tangible way. What happens if someone's just like, I'm not going to work for three months because I'm on vacation. I can take as much vacation as I want. Okay, let me give you a specific example. And this is a story I've told before, but it illustrates it really well. So I had an engineering manager, managed a team of other engineers. And he came to me and said, hey, I've got great news. I'm in love. I've met this woman, she's fantastic, been going out for a while and I think she's the one, but there's a downside, which is that she lives in San Diego. We're in Northern California in Los Gatos. He goes, but it's okay, I've got a plan. What I'd like to do is I'll leave work on Thursday, maybe late afternoon, and I'm gonna fly down to San Diego and I'll work remotely on Friday and then spend the weekend there, I'll work there Monday and then I'll fly back early Tuesday morning. And I said, okay, it's easy. I go, if what you're asking me is, is it okay for you to work from San Diego a few days a week? Well, I said, I could care less where you work from. You can work from the moon. You could work from uh, Kamchatka. I, I don't care. Work from wherever you want. That's easy. But if you're asking me, am I willing to accept you doing your job? Not as well, because you're gonna be in San Diego. Well, that answer is easy too. No, you're an engineering manager. You have a team of people who actually do need to see you face-to-face -face occasionally. Now, if you can do that from San Diego half the time, all power to you. You are smarter than I am. You're probably harder working than I am. So go to it if you can. But I'm still gonna hold you to the same standards I held you to before, regardless of where you're working from. And that's the answer. A simpler one, perhaps more direct to you, is I've had a council a few founders who are the business side of the, of the team. You know, usually the most stable kind of configuration, as you probably know, is you have a business guy and a tech guy. And they were young. The business guy was talking to me and he goes, 
man, I don't understand her, the CTO. You know, she sleeps until 11. She wanders in, maybe comes into work at noon. But then she'll be up all night and goes, how do I do this? You know, shouldn't she be around? Isn't this sending the wrong message? And I go, no, you know, listen, the business people are from Mars and engineers are from Venus and you've got to recognize those differences. But the fundamental thing is, how is she doing? And he goes, oh, she's brilliant. You know, she's solving these really cool problems. And I go, is she late? He goes, no, she actually gets a lot of extra stuff done. And I go, then what's the problem? And so that's what I would say to your person who takes three months. You don't care if he's taking three months vacation. The question is, is he getting his work done? And if he's not getting his work done, he shouldn't be there. He's demonstrating he has terrible judgment. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. You should have realized that by having a question about culture and leadership, you were going to get the Mark Randolph 30-minute spewing of uh, opinion. But it's okay, as long as you can handle it. No, that's great. I think accountability is something that's coming to mind. Yes. Okay. Here's what it is. Last one. So I promise last story. No, I don't. But I promise last story for a minute to let you speak again. This last story about the CTO and the CEO was basically, they're very senior people. So of course, we have respect for this. Here's another example. A company I was working with, they were trying to hire a receptionist and they had it specked out. And I go, let's see the spec. And they go, here it is. You work these hours, you get an hour for lunch, you do this. And I go, what's the job description? And this long list of all the shit the person had to do. And I go, you're going to get somebody who basically is happy to come to work every day and follow someone else's instructions, which might be okay. But why don't you just make it a one sentence job description, which we ended up doing, which was your job is to put the best face forward for the company, period. And let him or her figure out what that means. You don't need to write down you can't eat lunch at your desk. Let this person figure out, no, no, that probably is not a good way to put the best face forward when someone comes in and sees you with a mouth half full of pizza. You do not need to have the job description. Keep the ball filled with M&Ms. Let this person figure out, oh, it'd be kind of nice to have something out for guests to come here, to offer them a bottle of water, whatever it is. This person shouldn't come to you, the manager, and go, can I, I have a doctor's appointment. Go, I don't care. You understand that you can't just leave, so find someone to cover for you. But what it does is it takes someone which you would consider one of the lowest level jobs in the company and gives them the same sense of responsibility and ownership that the highest person in the company has. And it's amazing the dedication you get from someone like that and the creativity and how much better the job is and how little time you have to spend managing that person. And instead, in three or four weeks, you sit the person down and go, you're great. They're doing a crappy job. They're eating at their desk. They're vanishing without finding a replacement. It's dirty. And you go, I'm sorry, you're a great person. I really like you personally, but this is not the right job for you. This job requires a set of skills which you're not good at. It's my fault. I didn't hire well. Let's find you a place someplace else. And let's find someone who really wants this job and can do a great job at it. So there you go. That's the answer to the person who spends three months uh, on vacation, two days later when they don't have their work done. And the same thing. Can I take a vacation during, let's pick a good example. I just got off a board call with Chubby Shorts, big e-commerce company. You'd have to be out of your mind to go to your manager and say, I'm going to take my two weeks. You're the warehouse manager. I'm going to take my two weeks off in May. Friggin' busiest job, biggest time of the year for a shorts company. So no, that person, if they had good judgment, would recognize I need to plan my time off at a time when... There's very little business. When the person who I've been grooming to uh, step in for me can step in because he's not all of a sudden dealing with crises, he's managing a much slower organization. Okay. Mm -hmm. Deep breath, Mark. <laughs> <sighs>
What do you think, Mark? Dan? Yeah, I'm noticing a big system of trust, accountability, autonomy, having the employees figure it out themselves, but also having the discipline and the action steps to cut them off if they're not doing their job right. So it's kind of like an, an implicit understanding or expectation. It's an implicit expectation. Well, to paraphrase my favorite movie, Pulp Fiction, look at the big brain on Markian. That's exactly right. It is exactly that. You get amazing performance from people when you empower them like that. And when you trust them to make good decisions and you give them the information they need and then leave them alone. And it's amazing how it leverages, frees up your time from having to watch what everyone's doing because you're the smartest guy in the room to being, I hired good people. I gave them the information they need. I can leave them alone and I can lead into the future rather than managing into the past. But Markian's thinking, is there a dark side to this? This all sounds so easy. And the answer is it's really hard because it only works if you have people who have good judgment. How do you test that? In practice. And you just have to recognize you're not gonna get it right every time. It's impossible. You can't understand how well of a job someone's gonna do until they've actually started doing it. And what you have to do is recognize you've made a mistake and own it and say, this person does not have the judgment to operate in the framework that I'd like to have this company operate on, which is one of trust and transparency and good judgment. And that it's not a good fit. And that's on me. And I have to say, I have to be generous in how I say goodbye to them. And I have to do it quickly and I have to do it respectfully. And you have to be prepared to do that. And that's also something that goes along with being a leader, recognizing that your responsibility isn't necessarily entirely to that person. Your responsibility is to the rest of your team. This is also something I've said before, but since it leads right in here, that this goes back to the honesty piece. You have someone who you brought in, you've been watching them for four to six weeks, and their judgment's just not good. They're taking time off at the wrong times. You've left them alone. They've made decisions which are, quite frankly, scary. You go, I'm trying to do this thing where I don't need to approve every piece of content before it goes out and stuff's going out that you're kind of embarrassed about. And the worst thing is you go, okay, this guy's such a good guy. Let's just take some responsibility. Look, we'll support him. We'll put him on a plan to improve for the next six months. And it feels like you're doing the guy a solid by really doing your best to help him be successful. But the other 10 people in the company are all looking at Markian and going like, well, there's two possible things here and neither of them are good. Either Markian does not see that this guy is not holding up his end, so he's stupid, or he sees it and isn't doing anything about it, so he's weak. And in the meantime, all of us are forced to carry someone else's load. And your yeah. job is to the other 10 people to go, no, I'm not gonna make you play shortstop with a crappy second baseman. I'm going to replace second baseman and bring someone in that makes you have to struggle, have to up your game. And fundamentally, that's what all of us want. We want to be in a team with all A players. And that does not just happen because you say we only hire A players. It happens because you're cutting your B players. And that's really, really hard. Yeah. So much in people management and hiring, I guess, ultimately as a CEO, it's your job is just finding the right people so that the company grows and having that vision and inspiring people as well, which is a whole other topic as well, inspiring. Hey, if being a leader was easy, everyone would do it. The thing is, it's not something that's magic. Seriously, anyone could do this. It just requires this focus and realizing this is the most important thing. You can be a sole proprietor, you can be a lawyer, you can be a doctor. Basically, your revenue is commensurate with how many hours you put into it. Or you can go, the thing I'm going to figure out how to do is scale myself, make this company way bigger than me by figuring out how can I impart these cultural guidelines? How can I set a distant objective 
And I've multiplied myself by 10 because you have 10 people, each of whom are as good or better than you are. But they're not all sole actors. They're all working in concert. And then you're just basically out going this direction, this direction, based on what you sense uniquely about the market. When you get it to work, it's unbelievably uh, empowering and exciting. Mm -hmm. But then when you have to sit the person down to say, you're not going to be with us anymore, that's the part that sucks. That's the payback. I have another question for you as well. If I were to ask someone on your team, what's a tangible, specific thing that Mark does that I love about my job, meaning a system or a process of work, maybe a little more tangible than transparency on the team, what would that be? Oh, God. It depends whether you ask them in the moment or whether you ask them a few months later. The negative part of it is intimidating. And I'm just being very transparent here. I don't like that about me, but get the other piece of it, which is that I have really high standards. I have a sense of what's possible. I can see what could be done. I know how something can work. And if someone's not there in the interest of being transparent and honest, I don't hesitate to tell them where I think it's falling short, where their assumptions were bad. And so in the moment, I think people get really intimidated and nervous about being put on the spot. And I will say, mea culpa may be made to feel foolish. And I hate that about myself that way. But on the other hand, everyone loves the fact that there's a high standard. I only do that with people I think can meet it. I'll give you an example. We're just changing the agency who's helping me with my social media stuff. And they had taken something I'd written and kind of translated it to a shorter format. And you're, I'm sure, familiar with how that all takes place. They had written a whole different, like a headline. I hated it. (laughs) But I go, I don't like this because I spent a ton of time word crafting those eight words to get a certain emotion and a power into it. Now, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Tell me why what you've done is better. And they couldn't, and they felt badly, because I was in other ways saying, this is stupid. And I didn't mean to be it that way, but I'm going, I care so deeply about this. I want you to care even more deeply about it than I do. And that only happens if I'm very clear about something I find acceptable and non-acceptable. Mm-hmm. Well, there you go. You got me all in a confessional mode here. <laughs> No, thank you for, for sharing all this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been a journey, but it's awesome. I, I'm really grateful for this opportunity as a leader and also hearing from you. Yeah, you know, it's hard. And if it doesn't come naturally, you shouldn't do it. But if you can get this to the point where you have this complete transparency, the more your team knows, the better they can do at making decisions. And the things that you're keeping secret from them you have to ask yourself, am I doing this for a really good reason? You do not need to talk about this or answer this, but to what degree they know how much you make from what the revenue is. You may be going, I can't tell them that. And you should go for a walk and ask yourself, why? Am I doing something wrong? And if I'm doing something wrong, this is my opportunity to fix it. If I'm doing something right, but I can't... In other words, there's some very interesting internal deliberations to make about things like that. At Netflix, for example, we encourage every employee to look for a job. They should always be out looking for other jobs. The reason is we want that employee to know what they're worth in the real market. Because the companies who go, we don't want them looking because what are they scared they're going to find out? That they're being underpaid? That's awful. I don't want you to find out you've been underpaid. If you're being underpaid, I want to know it now so I can do something about it. And the same thing. So there's all kinds of stuff that transparency will go into a lot of interesting areas, which I think you might find uh, revealing, both about yourself, about 
the respect you actually have for your teammates to the degree that you want to have people with you for the long haul. But most importantly, don't do it the way I'm saying it because I'm saying it. Don't do it the way I'm saying it because it sounds good when it's coming from me. Mm -hmm. Do these things because they resonate with who you are and it's a leadership style that you can actually do. And whatever that is, your job is to figure that out and just get better and better and better at it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those are great, great thoughts and questions to think about. Thank you for sharing those. Well, Markin, I would have loved to have dug in. You ended up basically triggering something in me that I ended up really passionate about, as you can tell. So I rambled on. I would have loved to have dug in and learned a whole bunch from you about what you're working on and how you have gotten success. If for no other reason than I could have maybe gotten some of it to rub off on me. But that'll have to happen in the follow-up session that we are going to have in maybe six to nine months when I come back and ask you how you did with some of the uh, cultural and leadership advice I gave you. Awesome. Well, looking forward to that. Fantastic. Well, in the meantime, good luck with everything and uh, congratulations on all the success. I think it's only going to get better and better. I appreciate it. Thank you, Mark. I'll keep you updated. Please. I really enjoyed going down the rabbit hole on company culture, transparency, and how to treat your colleagues. These are topics I'm asked about constantly. I think Mark Yen's a pretty remarkable young leader, and I have no doubt that Smile Squad will continue to prosper. And the next time he and I get together, I promise I'll do my best to shut up so I can learn a thing or two on how to build his type of following. Well, that's all for today, and thanks to Mark Yen for entrusting his business to me for a little while. I look forward to hearing back from him in a few months to see if my advice helped. In the meantime, if you want to be a guest on That Will Never Work, I've made it really easy. Just go to markrandolph.com forward slash guest, fill out the form, and leave a voice message right there on the site. While you're there, sign up to get my weekly entrepreneurial advice delivered right to your inbox. Or connect with me on Twitter at mbrandolph or on Instagram at thatwillneverwork. Or my newest attempt at denying my age on TikTok, where I promise you won't ever find me dancing without a shirt on. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to smash that like button and leave me a review at Apple Podcasts. I'll see you next time. Audiation.